0: I ask that you turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 13 so that we may clearly hear our Lord speak this morning. I want to read to you verses 7 through 14 and then we will worship the Lord in song for His Word. Romans chapter 13, again beginning in verse 7 down through verse 14 and let me remind you again that this is the word of our Lord render to all what is due them tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor owe nothing to anyone except to love one another For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the very fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but rather instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Again, we'll be in Romans 13 this morning. There's a couple of places, other places that I want to go to, but they'll be easy enough to get to, I believe. But let me first thank you guys for your prayers uh, for my family Uh, mine and Sheila and prayers offered for us and then for mom and dad. Uh, Thankfully, mom's home um, and she's stable right now. Can't get out of bed, Uh, may not be able to, Uh, but we're hopeful for that. But uh, right now we're just thankful uh, that we can have conversations with her and and she understands, knows who we are, knows what's going on and uh, able to tell my mom or tell my mom last night that I love her and she said, I love you too, son. And you know, what's that worth? can't measure that and so i just thank you for praying and and i I believe the lord answered your prayers and uh, we're getting to have some conversation in these days and that that's all i want just to be able to have a conversation very thankful for that but i do want to turn our hearts this morning uh, toward the word of our lord Uh, that's where we draw our encouragement from that's where we draw life from his word and i want to remind you of some truths something that you already know because we're going to talk about love But unless the Lord uh, leads me differently than the way that I feel uh, or the way I felt the past couple of weeks, I'm going to set Romans aside for a few Sundays, I think the next three to get us to Christmas, and then I'll pick it back up the first of the year. So I want to show you the rest of 13 in way of an outline, just so you can take some notes. I trust you're studying chapter 12 and chapter 13. Uh, I talked to somebody the other day, said that they're going to start working on memorizing 12. It's been so helpful to them encourage you to do that. Um, I know it's a struggle for us adults to get the brain working again, but it's, it's a very valuable thing to, to, put, to commit to memory. But if you'll notice the very last verse of chapter 13, it's a very strong change of direction. It's an adversative. And we just have in the English the word but, but it's stronger than that. It's but rather instead. It's, it's very emphatic. And he tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I actually like the NIV best here. It says to clothe yourselves with Christ, and that's a really good picture. So what I intend to do is when we get back to this in January is we will walk back through 12 and 13 just in one sermon, but we'll see how that truly is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of behaving in your flesh in your way, we walk in a new way now, and it looks exactly like Christ. And so we get that word of encouragement at the very last verse. Now just before that, it is connected with the idea of the flesh because 13 is all the ugly stuff. We'll have to spend some time talking about immorality, sexual immoralities, and then strife and division in the church and jealousy and those sort of things. He wants that to be not even really named among us as the people of God. They have no part or place within us. And then just before that's the issue of time. Paul often brings his church around to remembering that the time is short. And so Paul's going to bring us to that understanding as well as you guys need to wake up. You don't let, need to let the world lull you to sleep. You need to be awake because we are right here at the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to bring that to a point as well. But before he does any of that, he brings us to the subject of love. And he puts it in the context of the law. Now, if you know me, anytime I run across love or law, I always have to slow down because we diligently need to understand those two principles that we find in Scripture, both love and law. But we also can't forget, and I remind you this every week, as we work our way through all of these imperatives in Romans 12 all the way through 15, you have to keep them in their proper context. Because every one of them fits under the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. So as I talk today about the subject of love and we begin to take up this sort of love that we're called to take up, you are, in effect, presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice. All of these imperatives that we humbly obey, that's exactly what we're doing. When we do these things, we are truly worshiping God. And it's reflected by our own character as we reflect the character of Christ. As we love like we are commanded to love here, we are putting a stop to being conformed to the ways of this world and we are pursuing being transformed in the way that we think through the Word of God. And then if you remember the summary of all of 1 and 2, it's what? It's the will of God. This is the will of God for your lives As we read 12 and 13 and then I'll go on to 14 and 15, this is the will of God. It's not a mystery. It's not something that's difficult to understand or discover. It's written down in ink, black and white. And we simply have to humble our hearts and take it up and obey it. But again, we come to this morning, the singular most important attribute of our lives is professing Christians, and that is love. So again, I don't, I'm not going to say anything you don't already know, but I'm reminding you of something that you desperately, we all desperately need to be reminded of often. Now, if you remember, 12 starts out with the idea of love, almost at the start. So Paul kind of bookends this entire section on the subject of love. Notice verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be literally unhypocritical. And then he comes right back to it near the end of the chapter at verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And then he says at the end of verse 10, Therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul understands just how important this subject is. So again, this is not a profound truth for us. This is just simply something we need to take up. We need to humble our hearts and obey. Paul is always bringing us to that mountaintop characteristic that we must have, turn just a couple of pages to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And just by mention of that chapter, you know what the whole chapter is about, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's where we find, right, that love is patient and love is kind. But look at the very last verse of chapter 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest. You hear that? Don't miss that. Lord willing, I'll talk about faith and hope and love in the next three Sundays, but you do understand which of these is the greatest of the three that remain. And that is love. This is profoundly important. One more place. Now go to the right and run with me to the Gospel of John chapter 13. And I trust some of you know exactly the passage that I'm going to read. John chapter 13, and I'll begin in verse 34, but understand the context or the background of what's taking place here. These are our Lord's last words to His disciples before He goes to Calvary. You think about last words. And probably many of us in here have shared last words with a loved one. You wanted to get it right. You wanted to say all that was on your heart. You didn't want to leave anything undone. You wanted to express the fullness of your love in every word, lest those be your very last ones, right? So on that very night, when he sits with his disciples during the Last Supper, notice what he says in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this. What is this? By your love. All men are going to know something about you. What are they going to know? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's it. That's what distinguishes us. That's what separates us. That's what defines us. That we have God's kind of love in a lost and dying world toward all people. In fact, as you work your way back to Romans, let me remind you when John was older, And he penned the words of 1 John. He says in chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So again, this is very important for us to understand. But if you'll notice in verse 8, this is what is so interesting that we find before us this morning. In verse 8 of Romans 13, Paul writes, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, those are two thoughts that we never put together love and law. In fact, I think probably some professing believers might come to the impression that those things are opposite one another, but they are absolutely not. They're as complementary as a husband and a wife in marriage. And so we've got to understand this relationship between law and love because it's very important for us to understand how we must love one another, right? So when we talk about the law, I want you to understand Scripture never divides the law. It's just one thing, if you will, in the Old Testament. But when we begin to communicate the law, we have divided the law into three different categories, if you will, that I think are helpful. But you need to understand the Bible doesn't distinguish among the categories. It's just the law. Yet when we begin to explain it or or teach through it or understand it, these divisions, one of these is is referred to as the ceremonial law. It basically had to do with all the ceremonies, right? It had to do with the sacrifices, the feasts, the festivals, the dietary laws, the clothing restrictions, including the Sabbath, the circumcision. All this was a part of the ceremonial law. All that was for the nation of Israel, yet all of that is still important because every bit of it points to Christ. And we need to understand how those particular ceremonies and rituals pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand how He fulfilled those, right? We need to see Him as our Sabbath rest. We need to understand that circumcision is of the heart. And it's something that the work of the Spirit does because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So every one of these things point to the reality and the fulfillment that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet today, I know for sure in Scottsboro, there are those who have taken back up the ceremonial law, trying to keep the ceremonial law. We're always getting it in the ditch and going a little too far. You have to be careful in doing that because Christ has fulfilled all of these things. And so it's cause for understanding and rejoicing, but we need to be careful to go beyond that. The second part is the judicial or the civil law. And some commentators say that's everything but the Ten Commandments in the civil law. It's basically restitution. It's where you find eye for an eye. It's where you find the law. If someone kills someone, then they too will be killed. You find the law about the ox goring someone and what you are to do in those situations. Again, it's civil law. But again, I want to point you to the value of even the civil law because the civil law is great wisdom to us. And the apostles even took that wisdom and applied it to other circumstances. Just and I realize it's, a, it's an aside, but go with me to 1 Corinthians 9, because I want you to see an example of this. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 7. And really what I'm trying to do is to build an argument that you understand the importance that the law plays in our life even now. 1 Corinthians 9, notice with me verse 7. He asks a couple of questions. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk from the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not, notice, the law also say these very things? For it stands written in the law of Moses, and here's one of your civil laws you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Now, why wouldn't you want to muzzle the ox while he's threshing? You got to let him eat. Let the ox eat from his labor, therefore don't muzzle the ox, right? Notice what he says after that. God's not concerned about oxen, is He? No, that's not what He's really doing. Look at verse 10. Or is He speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, it's for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope, in the sharing of the crops. So you see, we don't set aside the law. The law is not bad. The law is good. There's wisdom found in the law if we will apply ourselves to understanding it. But the third category is the most important category as far as these divisions go, and that's the moral law. That is where we find the Ten Commandments. Go back with me to Romans as I remind you of the Ten Commandments. You can go to Romans 13. But let me read for you what we find in the Ten Commandments. And as I always read them, I usually remind you, the first four are about who? God. And the next six are about who? Our neighbors. There's reason for that. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, nor worship or serve idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All of those are in in regard to our relationship with God. Now the rest, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. Now if you're taking notes, jot down Romans 1. Go read Romans 1 and you'll notice a violation of every single one of the Ten Commandments in one way or the other. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Our depravity leads to specific rebellion of the law of God. That's what we do. It's not just random. It's specific. In our fallen state, we hate God and everything God says. And we're very specific about our sin and our rebellion. We despise our mother and our father in our rebellion because we disobey them. We steal, we covet, we lie. We do all of these things. We fashion our own gods after our own image and we bow down and worship them because God has said you shall have no other gods before you. And we say, oh yeah? Watch as I do the very thing you've told me not to do. That's what depravity does. That's what sin does. That's why we are justly deserving of the wrath of God because we lift up our chest and we point a finger in His face and we rebel against His holy word. So these laws have great implication for our life. But when I was growing up, the law was often cast in a very bad light. I always thought Old Testament, not good, law, bad, grace, good. And I missed a great amount of understanding of things that we should know in order to glorify Christ more. The law, I've told you many times, demonstrates to us the character of God. How could it ever be bad? The law is a wonderful picture of who our Heavenly Father is. But the law also clearly communicates the demands that God placed on His people. The law was good and the law is good. But there was one thing the law could never do and that was provide or produce righteousness within us. That's it. That's all it could never do. But the problem was not with the law. Paul is very clear. and We've already walked through Romans 7 where he says the law is holy, the law is righteous, and the law is good, Romans 7 and 12. You see, the problem was always, always with us, never with God's Word, never with anything He has said or done. So God overcame our problem through His Son, and Jesus met the righteous requirements of the law. You're in 13. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 10. Actually, you know what? Let's go back to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Notice what Paul writes there in Romans 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Notice what weakened it, our flesh. God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that, notice, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Man, this is the greatest news of the gospel. The one thing that was required of us, we couldn't produce. We couldn't buy. We couldn't perform. And yet God did it on our behalf by sending His Son. He met the righteous demand of the law on our behalf and His righteousness is imputed to us through faith and faith alone. And yet, what does everybody under the sun say if you ask them why they know they're going to heaven and they say, because I'm a good person? You you still don't understand. You haven't a clue of what Christ has done for us. But, But it begins with not having a clue of what God requires of us. God requires something of us that is absolutely alien to us. It is foreign to us. There is no righteousness within us or about us. We can't climb up and take hold of it, nor can we plumb the depths and discover it. There is no righteousness that is made available apart from what God has given us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we obtain that through faith and faith alone. What is required is given to us by His mercy and His grace through trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice, and I brought you here, I want you to notice what it does say in these, in these verses, in verse 4. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, but I also want you to notice what it doesn't say. Obedience to the law is no longer an issue. It doesn't say that. And many Christians believe that to be the case. The law is of no consequence to me whatsoever now. Obedience is a non-issue for me. I trust in the blood. We do trust in the blood for righteousness. But we also value the law. We love the law. We keep the law. Because again, what does the law reflect? The law reflects the character of God. And if we're going to bear the fruit of the character of God, if we're going to walk in the ways of Christ, it is described for us in the very law of God. We don't have to guess what Jesus would do. You don't need it on the bracelet. You just simply needed to read it from the pages of Scripture. We know what He would do. It's been written down for us. And so we simply have to read it Repent, because that's not the way of any of us, especially when it comes to the subject of love. And we simply have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, take up His ways, and allow Him to shape us into His very image. Which, by the way, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Love and law go together. It was never meant to be separated. Let me show you this in one other place. Go with me to Mark chapter 12. I think this will be the last little place we go to. And we'll see the moment that Jesus tied the two together. Mark chapter 12, let me begin in verse 28. Again, very familiar territory, but I want you to notice what the Lord does with love and law. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that He, Jesus, had answered them well, asked Him, what commandment is the foremost or the greatest of all? Out of all the law, I want you to tell me what's the top, what's the most important thing. Jesus answered in verse 29, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, you want to know about the law? I'll tell you about the law. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, let me, again, somewhat of a side, read a little further, explain one more thing, and then we'll go back to Romans. Notice what he says in verse 32. The scribe said to Jesus, you're right. You have truly stated that he is one and that there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as herself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then notice what Jesus says. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God." Do you know what it will be like in the kingdom of God? If you could pick one word to understand what it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven, it would be the word love. Because we are finally and fully going to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We are going to know that and experience that and that will be the type of love that we finally have for God. But that's not all, because we are finally and fully going to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are in pursuit of that today, but we will not know that or attain that fully until we get into the kingdom of God. But isn't that going to be a glorious day? The kingdom of heaven is going to be absolutely defined by love. Unfailing, unbound, marvelous love. Everywhere you go and everywhere you look. But nonetheless, as you go back to Romans 13, Jesus has said, yeah, I can sum up the law for you. It's not that hard. I can take you all the way to the couple of things or couple of lines that define the whole of the entire Old Testament law. Love God and love your neighbor. So what Paul is doing here in Romans 12, or rather in in Romans 13, he's really exegeting the thoughts of Jesus Actually, it's all the way through 12 and 13. And so what he does, he begins with, over in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. He starts giving us the very nature of this love that we are called to have. And I told you when we walked through that, the very first element or characteristic of this love is it despises what is evil and it clings to what is good. And all of chapter 12 is nothing more than a helping you understand of what does this love look like that I'm called to have. And I think that's been the struggle for us all as we walk through this. It's been challenging to walk through these passages, but at the same time it ought to be encouraging because we understand what our love will look like one day but it also gives us a goal for today as we pursue this type of unhypocritical love. So Paul's like, okay, you know you're supposed to do this, so let me help you understand the nature of it. And then when he gets over into chapter 13, verse 7, he explains the necessity of it. Look at Romans 13, verse 7, in verse 8, he says, "...Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe nothing to anyone." Except love. In other words, he says, you got some debts. And you have debts based on authority. I've created authority in your societies and in your countries and in your worlds. I've created authority, positions of authority. And in those positions, there's honor that is due them and you need to honor them. It's the way I created it, and you will glorify me and obey me by honoring those in positions of authority. And if fear, or like respect, I would translate that, is do them, you respect them. Our culture has completely forgotten that. We will rip and rail over anybody. But if we're going to be faithful, we'll realize that God has put those particular people in those positions. And if he has, then respect is due them. And he's like, pay what you owe. And if it's taxes, pay what you owe. But then he says in verse 8, there's something that you'll never be able to pay back. You have a debt that you'll never make good on. And that debt is the debt of love that you owe everyone. And you're like, why can I never pay that one back? Because of the great love that you and I have received, we could never pay that back. While we were still yet sinners, right? Christ died for us. What a demonstration of love. While we were rebelling, while we were sitting in Romans chapter 1, Christ demonstrated His love for us and gave His Son in exchange for us. Therefore, you'll never get out of debt in regard to the love that you owe one another. But then the last thing, if you'll notice in the last part of that verse, or the last part of verse 8 and 10, he says, For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then again, down in verse 10, he says it again. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And there we find the relationship between love and law. And so I can faithfully say, Christian, keep the law through loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, hopefully we've walked through it enough that everyone knows how to love God. It's communicated into the Old Testament. It's communicated in the New Testament. It's communicated by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The Lord says in John 14 and 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. If you're with us on Wednesday night, we started walking through the book of Jeremiah. And one of the accusations that the Lord makes against His people is this, why do you hate my word? And that's a difficult thing I told him on Wednesday night for me to talk about. Because what he's saying is, When you reject my word, when you disobey my word, when you rebel against my word, you're communicating to me that you hate my word. That's a difficult thing to swallow. But that's how the Lord communicates or helps us understand how we express love to Him. Everyone wants to turn that into an emotion, but it's an action. God says, you express love toward me when you humble your heart, repent, and obey me. When you keep my word, you love me. That's clear to me. So we know how to love God, but what Paul wants to specifically take up is how we love our neighbor. Notice verse 9. This is the struggle that he wants to communicate to the church at Rome. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not. Still, You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's painfully obvious when you look at these things. Love would never consider doing these things to its neighbor. That's love. You know, what's going around in the church today, what some teach in the church today is you, you can't love others until you love yourself. It's absolutely silly, absolutely a wrong teaching. If you will turn your attention away from yourself and toward your neighbor, then you'll really know love because that's exactly what our Lord did. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life. And in the giving of His life, we understood love. And if you want to know love, you'll turn away from yourself And turn your eyes toward your neighbor and you'll love them and be just as concerned for them and their needs as yourself. Notice verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the very fulfillment of the law. You know, we just walked through this idea of no wrong. But you really express love toward your neighbor when they've done you wrong. You understand that? Hey, don't just see the negative. Love is when I don't knock their head off. No, that's not it. Love is when I don't unload on them with those words and thoughts that I've been sorting out very meticulously. No, that's not it. Love is when all that stuff is thrown toward you and you don't react and you don't respond with anything other than love. You're like, why do not we have to do that? That's what Christ did. That's exactly what He did. Remember those shouts of Him while He was hanging on that tree? If you really are the Son of God, save yourself. That's depravity at its finest. That's being a human being in the flesh. And so when He tells us that does no wrong, we need to understand It does not respond when wrong. It continues to love. Let me take you all the way back to the first thought. And then I want to share a personal testimony about these things and, and we'll be dismissed. Everything that we've mentioned here has a basis. And if you remember Paul's basis all the way back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the basis is the mercies of God. Because we have received mercy that we can't comprehend, we can't measure, we can't equate, Paul urges us. He doesn't simply plead with us. And I don't want to go so far as he uses the word commands us. But you do understand what Paul is doing here. He's instructing us with his whole heart from the depth of his soul. You need to love like this because you've been given the greatest mercies from God Himself.